Welcome to the Capital News. I am your host, Alex Caritas. Today is Friday, March 18th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining me. Title of today's podcast, Global Instability, a title we could use on a day-by-day basis over the past few years. But I think this will be a good summation of what we've been dealing with and what we're likely going to continue to deal with for the foreseeable future. The last podcast I did was dethroning King Dollar, and of course that was a question mark, so I want to continue with that conversation here today because that's going to be an in-depth conversation that we continue having, again, for the foreseeable future because we've abused our privilege of being the world's superpower, of being the global reserve currency, the U.S. dollar. We've abused it, which is par for the course. That's what all superpowers throughout history have done. It's a power that they have. They want to use it for their benefit, and it eventually leads to their unraveling. Now, I believe the United States, unfortunately, is in the process of unraveling. It doesn't mean it's going to be quick and disorderly, but we're in the process. I take no pleasure in saying this, but when you have $30 trillion in debt, when you have a crumbling infrastructure, when you have kids who can't read, write, and do basic math, the writing is on the wall. All of this can be reversed, but it's going to take true leadership, not the jokers that we've had one administration after the next for really the past handful of decades. Uh, And again, it's not just the administrations in the White House, it's also our Congress. It's the two-party system. You have to rise above it. You have to stop voting for these people. You have to. You have to wake up and realize that these people, these two political parties, do not care about you. What don't you understand? What part of $30 trillion don't you get? What part of crumbling infrastructure don't you get? What part of children not being able to read, to write, and do basic math? What don't you understand about this? How much more of your money do you want to have taken from you by this government that gives you $30 trillion in debt, crumbling infrastructure, and a terrible education system? How much more do you want to give them? And on top of it, on top of it, you have a central bank that is stealing several percentage points of your purchasing power per year. Right now, they tell us that the inflation rate is about 8%. And we perfectly know that that's not right, that it's closer to double that. And export prices, which is a better proxy of true inflation, just went up for the month of February. And is it 16%? In January, it was 15 point something percent. Now it's at 16%. Why are export prices a better proxy for the real rate of inflation? Because it takes into consideration all of the domestic production prices that go into producing those products that are then exported out. you got to produce it in order to export it. So all of those costs are taken into consideration. And those products, yes, some of them are exported, but some of them are going to be sold within the United States as well. So it's a better proxy. So the hits just keep on coming, and people continue to vote for these jokers and expect a different result. And a lot of that is by design, of course, with the media and the propaganda that they spew down your throats 24-7. It doesn't matter whether you're watching Fox, CNN, MSNBC. It does not matter the station. 
It's all the same propaganda. It's all for divide and control. It's to get you upset about trivial matters. They make you think that it's important because they're talking about it 24-7. Whether that's some social movement, whether that's transsexuals, and all of that, you know, the alphabet people, as comedian Dave Chappelle calls them. Perfectly fine. Be who you are, be who you want to be. But a country of this size should not slam on the brakes for 0.001% or whatever the small fraction is of the population to uproot and change the whole system. It doesn't make any sense. But what it can do and what it is doing is it's breaking down society. It's tearing apart families. And families are what build society. You want a strong society, you need a strong family unit. And the government wants to be your mommy, wants to be your daddy. Want to give you free stuff. Here's food stamps. Here's housing subsidies. Here's stimulus checks. You don't need a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad. We'll take care of everything for you. And how's that working out? Not too well, is it? But that's the whole thing. Let's get people, let's convince some of the, some of the population that this is right, that this is what we need to do. Whatever the issue is, it doesn't make a difference. They'll love it. Let's just say that's the Democrats. They're all for it. They buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker. And then on the other side, you have the Republicans who say that stuff is ridiculous. So there you go. You're now divided. And you got politicians who can step in, fill the void, and say that is ridiculous, or we agree with that wholeheartedly. And then they get the votes. Completely ignoring the financial situation of the country. Completely ignoring how much you are taxed to death. Completely ignoring how much of your purchasing power is eroded and stolen from you via the inflation tax year after year. Completely ignoring the education system and a whole host of other issues. All because they got you convinced that the most important things to fight about is nonsense. I mean, bravo to them. I guess they really figured out human psyche. But you have to be smarter than that. You have to rise above it. And one way that you can start to rise above it is to stop voting for these people and to really stop watching those news networks too. Do a boycott because they're not serving you justice at all. It's all propaganda. We see all the propaganda with the war, with the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. How often do you see Fox News and CNN on the same page? When you see that happening, you should be scratching your head and saying, mm, something's up here. They weren't concerned about the Ukrainian people being at war with each other for the past eight years. But all of a sudden, once Russia invades, because we've been poking the bear for too long, now it's a problem. Now the poor Ukrainian people. I don't remember the poor people being upset about the poor Iraqis or the poor Afghanis. Why is that? I, I, I don't remember that. I don't remember the Twitter feeds and, and, and again, it doesn't matter, social media, outcry, and this, that, or the other. I don't remember these big movements like it is today, and really on a global scale. But as soon as Russia asserts itself and attempts to stand up for itself, all hell breaks loose. And again, I am not supporting or defending Russia's actions. I'm simply 
stating that I understand why they're doing what they're doing. We wouldn't tolerate such aggression on our border if the Russians or the Chinese were attempting to put weapons into Mexico. We didn't like it when the Russians did it back in the 60s with Cuba. We're not going to like it today either. We don't want it on our borders. Vladimir Putin and the Russians don't want it on theirs. That makes perfect sense. But what is going to continue to happen, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but this is going to continue to escalate, which means it's only going to get worse. There's a very easy solution here. Get together, have a conversation, say that Ukraine is not going to become a member of NATO, and that Ukraine is not going to become a member of the EU. That's what you have to do. Make them neutral. You want to trade with who you want to trade with? Perfectly fine. But don't join these groups. I mean, who in their right mind would want to join the European Union anyway? You have to be out of your mind to begin with. And how effective and powerful really is NATO? I mean, they can't even get their act together. And of course, that really means us at this juncture with that whole debacle with whether or not Poland was going to send fighter jets into Ukraine or if they were going to give them to us and then we'd somehow get them into Ukraine. I mean, what a cluster that turned into. And of course, we send the brightest person that we could possibly find. And I guess that was our vice president, Kamala Harris, who's a joke, who's an idiot. And it's an embarrassment to this country. She couldn't answer questions. She doesn't know what planet she's on, just like our president of the United States. Again, part of the unraveling of the United States of America. It's truly pathetic. It's a sad state of affairs. And because we lack leadership, the rest of the world, rising powers, whether because they truly are rising powers or because those leaders of those countries think that they're rising powers, are going to poke and prod at the United States to see what they can get away with. Which is also in part what's taking place here with Russia-Ukraine. Other countries are observing how the United States, and let's just say the West, responds to this type of action. The sanctions that are put into place. What really has teeth? Is it really going to sink in? Is it really going to make a difference? What's really going on here? Because if some other country says, well, I want to do something too, whether that's China or whoever, what might the United States do to us? Well, now they have a good idea. So what that means is those countries, again, will pick on China, can start to prepare. And that might mean they start hoarding food, which is what they've been doing. They could start getting rid of U.S. dollars and build up other types of reserves. They could be of euros. They could be of yen. Swiss francs could be gold. Start building up their military. A whole host of things can be done. Now, that's not going to happen overnight, but if they're going to plan something, let's just say they start to go after Taiwan in a more serious way, well, then they know, or at least can reasonably assume, how the United States and the, and the West will respond, at least initially. Because it probably would be economic sanctions before we turn that into some type of hot war with the Chinese over Taiwan. Let's pray that that doesn't happen. But the writing is somewhat on the wall for that one, too. So there's a lot going on, to put it lightly. On the prior podcast, Dethroning King Dollar, I went through another UN FAO 
report that they recently published that was focusing on food prices. I'm going to go back to that report, reread some of it, and continue on with some extra paragraphs, because I think this is vitally important, because this is going to be something that we're going to have to contend with throughout the remainder of this year, and most likely into next year, and possibly beyond, because the dominoes have already started to fall, and a lot of this cannot be undone. So this is going to have major ripple effects throughout this year, next year, and possibly even into 2024, depending on how all of this plays out. Let's go through some market performance since the markets are closed on this Friday. We have WTI up 2%, $104.95 a barrel. Brent up about 2% as well, $108.35 a barrel. Natural gas down about 2%, $4.89. Gold gave back 1.1% in Friday's trading session to trade at $1,921 an ounce. Silver gave back 1.5% to trade at $24.95. Lumber, very volatile, gave back several percentage points throughout the week, trading at $1,193 per 1,000 linear board feet. However, the main thing that we want to focus on with all of these commodities is its trading range. What's its historical trading range? Where is it now? Where does let's just call it the new trading range, establish itself once some of the dust starts to settle. Now, there's still a bunch of dust in the air. We have a long way to go. But these prices, with respect to lumber, are three, four times their historical trading average. doesn't matter that the price came down 20% the other day, it is still three to four times higher than its historical trading average. You get it? Housing prices, how much further can they go? They can keep going, make no mistake about it, but how much further can they really go, especially when we have mortgage rates back at 4%, which we have not seen since 2019? That will have an impact. And of course, we'll talk about the Fed's balance sheet because the Federal Reserve came out, FOMC meeting on Wednesday, and they increased interest rates. They increased the federal funds rate band by 25 basis points. So now instead of being basically from zero to 25 basis points, it's 25 basis points to 50 basis points. Wow, we have 8% inflation. My goodness, 025 and 0.5% is really going to put a dent on the inflation rate, isn't it? I mean, th this is such a joke. And then once we go through what they just did with the balance sheet, it's just a slap in the face. They get up, doesn't matter if they're testifying, doesn't matter if they're giving a speech, making comments, look at you right in the face through the camera and lie to you. That's what they do. So we'll get to that here momentarily. Price of wheat came down about 3% for the day's session, $10.45 per bushel, still at multi-year highs. The dollar index trading at 98 spot 22, coming off a little from its recent highs, but still at elevated levels. Again, the U.S. dollar can be a global wrecking ball. And the stronger the dollar goes, again, this is against the basket of currency. It just lost... 8% of its purchasing power. All of these fiat currencies, 
are sinking. But they trade relative to one another. So you have to understand that. So the dollar index, which again is heavily weighted against the euro, is up 98 spot 22. That dollar strengthens against the basket of currencies. It's basically like exporting our inflation because there's a lot of U.S. dollar-denominated debt that exists globally. Those countries are obviously making their money in their domestic currencies, but it's weaker against the U.S. dollar, so it's going to take more of their domestic currency to pay off those U.S. dollar-denominated debts. So that's inflationary, and it also means there's less of their domestic currency, less money in those countries to support their social programs, whatever they may be, which can be a cause for protests, strikes, what have you, if people are expecting to get X and they get X minus Y, people aren't going to be too happy about that because that's what they've grown accustomed to. And there's so much uncertainty right now that it doesn't take much to light the fuse and to get these things going. We never really left the global protest movement, if you will, from 2019. The pandemic comes along, allows governments and central banks to basically get away with financial and economic murder. But guess what? It was an excuse. It justified everything that they have done and everything that they continue to do. And now, with the pandemic seemingly gone because it's an election year, it's just gone. I'm sure after the election, it'll probably come back. But let's hope that doesn't happen. But you got rid of the pandemic, and now you have... Russia and Ukraine. So one excuse after the next for policymakers, politicians, and central bankers to just say, okay, we're just going to continue to wait and see. We're not going to be serious here. We're not going to take aggressive action to combat inflation. We're not going to do it because there's just too many, too many uncertainties. The pandemic, okay, that's aside. Now we have war with Russia, and we don't know what's going to happen with China and Saudi Arabia and India and all these other countries. So because we don't know all of these things, we're just going to continue to keep our monetary stance very loose, interest rates very low, and despite the fact that inflation is out of control, we're going to continue to expand our balance sheets. But you're not supposed to know that. They don't say that part. They don't say that part out loud. You have to go looking for that data, and I'll talk about that here momentarily. The Dow Industrial Average gained 1% for the day, 34,808 points. The S&P 500 put on a gain of 1.4%, 4,474 points. The NASDAQ 100 put on a gain of 2.3%, trading at 14,439 points. Still off its all-time high, but a strong week, especially for the tech sector and the NASDAQ. Uncle Sam's 10-year junk note is yielding 215 We've seen a lot of volatility in the bond market. On the longer end of the curve, we already are seeing some yield curve inversions. So the five-year against the 10-year, seven against the 10, three against the 10 are starting to invert, which is a precursor to recession. The granddaddy of them all is really the 2 and 10, so the two-year note versus the 10-year. And once that inverts, that basically signals that a recession is on the horizon. Uh, a lot of people want to poo-poo that statistic, but we've done in-depth analysis on that, uh, many podcasts on that, and also Capital Economics presentation. So if you want to sort of educate yourself a little bit more on that topic, capitalnews.com, check out those Capital Economics presentations on the yield curve. 
Uh, you can also find them on YouTube as well. So 2.15% for Uncle Sam's 10-year junk note. This has been a big reversal uh, over the past couple of weeks where we were seeing, I guess you could call it a flight to safety in Uncle Sam's debt into the bond market, pushing yields lower. But now it appears that there is a tug of war, a battle brewing within the bond market, which of course is another heavily manipulated market because that's where central banks do all of their dirty work. And you have a reversal over the past couple of weeks and you have yields going up. Uh, this very well could be because the bond market is starting to understand that inflation is not going to be transitory. It is here to stay, and it is going to be a problem for the foreseeable future. So it's very, very interesting how everything plays out. Uh, I also want to discuss some updates with respect to the nickel market and the London Metals Exchange, the LME, because that was a big story that was unfolding last week. Because we had the big shot. That's his nickname. Probably gave it to himself. The Chinese tycoon. The nickel tycoon. Who had a major short position on nickel. Was getting squeezed. Meaning the price was going up. Meaning he was going to have to sell his position. Because he's borrowing money to short the nickel price. And he was going to lose billions of dollars. But... That didn't happen, did it? Oh, no, it did not. Because the LME stopped trading. And not only did they stop trading, price of nickel intraday went to $100,000 a ton. Never been close to that price. The LME didn't just stop trading. They said, we are not going to honor any nickel price above 50000 this is unheard of. Okay, this is criminal in my mind. This all goes back to the late great comedian George Carlin. It's a big group, in, or it's, it's a big club, and you ain't in it. Okay, this is exactly what George Carlin was talking about. This is it, in our faces. Okay, this market, the LME, this exchange has lost all credibility, because they will not honor trades above a certain price. They said, nope, not going to happen. So had you been a trader and were on the right side of this trade, meaning you were long the price of nickel, you're, not, you're, you're now not going to realize all of those gains that you thought you were going to make. And the big shot is not going to lose. And his counterparty, one of his biggest counterparties, as it turns out, was J.P. Morgan Chase. That's his bank. So J.P. Morgan would have stood to lose billions of dollars as well. Well, that can't happen, can it? No, because it's a big club and these guys don't lose. They get bailed out when you know what hits the fan. Further, the LME put limits as to how far the price, not only of nickel, but all metals can trade on a daily basis. Initially, they said it's going to be a 5% band on the price of nickel. So if nickel goes up 5% in one day, that's it. It hit its limit, done trading. Likewise, if it goes down 5%, that's it, hit its limit, done trading. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you open up these markets after doing something that you've never done before? Well, the price is going to sell off because all of the longs, the people who are buying silver, they know they're screwed. They're trying to get out now. 
So day after day, it's been limit down, limit down, limit down. And because that's been happening, the LME was basically forced to expand that range. So it was 5%, then they opened it up to 8% on both sides, and now it's 12%. So they stopped the price at 50000 Then they reopened markets this week after closing them for several days last, last week. And every day, it's limit down, limit down, limit down. And we're back to about $37,000 per ton for the price of nickel. This is criminal. This is in our face. The LME has lost all credibility. But this is just something that you better get used to. Because they win even when they lose. And the people lose even when they win. And who's doing a damn thing about this? Nobody. Oh, and the other thing. I believe the Chinese, through some Hong Kong subsidiaries own the LME, or a significant portion of it. Okay, so that's all you really need to know. J.P. Morgan doesn't lose, and the big shot doesn't lose, because the Chinese own the LME. What a world, and it? It's just simply fantastic. Let's go to the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, shall we? So despite the fact that they want to be serious in tackling inflation, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet increased by $44 billion last week, $44 billion, one week alone, to stand at an all-time high of $8.954 trillion. $8.954 trillion, an all-time high. $44 billion, one week alone. Now, they say that they might start to increase interest rates at a faster clip, so instead of it being 25 basis points, maybe the next meeting it'll be 50 basis points. But who knows? Long time before that meeting. Hmm. And a lot going on, isn't there? But some members are saying we really want to start tackling the balance sheet and reducing it. After they've jacked it up week after week to all-time highs, now they want to reverse it. How many weeks, or should I say how many months, how many months of Federal Reserve tightening Will it take to undo what they just did last week? I mean, it could, it could take a quarter. It could take three months of balance sheet roll-off, if you will, just to undo what they did last week. How are we supposed to take them seriously that they're going to tackle inflation? Maybe that's what the bond market is sniffing out, that Jerome Powell and company at the Federal Reserve aren't to be taken seriously. That's what's going on here, folks. The, the curtain is being removed. And of course, you're not supposed to pay attention to the man behind the curtain, but that, that's what's unraveling here as well. Okay? This is what's being revealed. The, the blatant manipulation and corruption at the highest levels. You see what the LME just did and what they'll continue to do, and other exchanges will likely follow suit if that happens to them. You see what's going on with central banks? They, they just don't care. They don't care at all. Now, what's interesting, of course, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is comprised of Uncle Sam's debt and mortgage-backed securities. Well, both also hit an all-time high this week, but mortgage-backed securities, my goodness, they added 30-some billion of the 44 billion, I think about 37, so the vast majority of the increase to their balance sheet this week was in mortgage-backed securities. 
which now stands at a record high of $2.729 trillion. And this is on the back of mortgage rates inching higher and higher again at that 4% level. We haven't seen that in a few years. So what are they trying to do? Do they continue to trying to, to juice prices? I mean, this really is the great reset, isn't it? You will own nothing and you will like it at, the, at whatever price. At whatever price. Because they'll buy the mortgage-backed securities from the big investors, pension funds, the Black Rocks of the world. And then Black Rock and company will go out and they'll buy the real estate. And then they'll turn around and they'll rent it to people who just got kicked out of their homes or couldn't afford to buy it in the first place. Well, you'll have to rent. Because you couldn't save enough to put a down payment on it. And then now with the interest rates, you can't even afford the payment anymore. But don't worry. We have the money because we, our buddies have a printing press and they're bailing us out. They're giving us the money to do everything. And if it goes bad, if it goes south on us, don't feel bad for us. We'll get bailed out again. They'll buy our bonds. They'll buy the junk off of our books and put it on theirs. These guys just simply cannot lose. But hey, don't worry about it, folks. Stay distracted by the social issues that are pointless and continue to vote for the Republicans and Democrats who give this to you every single day. Go ahead. Keep voting for them and expecting a different thing. Go ahead. Let's see how that works for you and everybody else. So that's the Fed's balance sheet. We're going to tackle inflation by mm, causing more inflation, an increase in the money supply. Fantastic. You cannot make this stuff up. Now, again, the prior podcast, Dethroning King Dollar, which was a question, very shortly after that podcast last week, there was a big story that was posted uh, in, the, in the mainstream media, financial news, where Saudi Arabia, having discussions with Chinese authorities, uh, basically saying that they may start accepting Chinese yuan for their oil. Now, okay, maybe, I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they'll take Chinese yuan. Okay, what does that really mean? The Chinese yuan is another fiat currency. All right, they're all junk. They're all garbage. And China is putting on one of the biggest smoke-and-mirror performances ever performed, ever conducted on the face of the earth. As much of a sham economy as we're running here in the United States and as much of a sham economy they're running in the Eurozone and in Japan, you, you, you can't hold a flame to China. All right? You, you just can't. So to think that this is really some threat I think is overstated, okay? Now, what this does do, however, is it does send a message, and that's probably more about what this really is. It sends a message to Washington, D.C. that you're old, you're decrepit, you're unraveling. Uh, we don't like how you've been treating the rest of the world for so many years. You have 320, 330 million people. Yes, you're the largest economy, but you have 330 million people. We could look to China. We could look to India. And right there, there's over 2 billion people. And their economies are growing. And they're growing rapidly. And some of the demographics are okay, especially in India. Not so much for China. But nonetheless, there is a lot of business that we can be doing with China and India. So we'll start to accept 
other currencies. That may happen, it may not. It's a message to Washington, D.C. That's how I see this. Just like with Russia reaching out to China, supposedly asking for military assistance. Maybe, maybe Russia really needs the assistance. Maybe they don't. But what it does do is it sends a signal. It sends a signal to Washington, once again, that you are losing control. You're not as big and powerful as you think you are. Because now it's playing each side off on one another. Well, what are you going to do? What are we going to do with the Chinese? I don't like how the Chinese government operates. But we've outsourced so much to China and that part of the world. If we start to put sanctions on China because maybe China will side with Russia and will give them some type of assistance, well, then I think we would have to sanction China. Well, how do you think that's going to play out in our economy? What do you think that's going to do to the prices of other goods and services? Okay, again, it's not hard to connect the dots. You have to get off your pedestal with the ego and being the macho tough guy. Well, let's just bomb them. Let's just kick their ass and do this. That, that's, that's, that. Okay, you want to go down that road, go ahead and see what happens. It's not going to work out because even if you did that, it's going to have major blowback, economically speaking, here in this country. And on top of it, you're going to have massive amounts of, of death and, and injury. That's not what we want. So we're seeing some big messaging taking place here with the Saudis mentioning that they may start to take Yuan for their oil. And you have Russia reaching out to China asking for military assistance. These are messages. These are shots across the bow to Washington, D.C., saying you better get your act together. You better start bringing other people into the fold to make big decisions, rightly or wrongly. That's what they want. These other countries want a seat at the big boy table. And if they don't get it with the United States, then they may very well start to form their own little agreements amongst themselves. Because not only are we seeing the Saudis making such statements, but we're also seeing the Indians make such statements with respect to Russia in building their own payment system with one another. So again, if there are still economic sanctions placed on Russia, what will we do to the Indians if India should say, well, we really don't care and we're going to establish our own payment system with the Russians? Are we now going to have to sanction India? You see how this can escalate very quickly and out of control? This is why you don't meddle in other people's affairs. This is the type of mess that you'll end up getting yourself into, and that's where we are. There's a lot of questions. We're not going to unravel all of this here today, but these are some of the things that you should be thinking about, I believe, because this is all about taking power away from the United States of America. And these other countries, if you remember BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. These are the up-and-coming countries, the up-and-coming economies. What happens if they just form their own agreement, their own little trade union amongst themselves? I mean, that's a significant portion of the world's population. You can throw Saudi Arabia in there. You could throw Turkey into, into that group. You could throw Iran into that group because some of these countries may not care if they're doing business with some of these other shady players because Iran, for instance, hell, even Venezuela, massive energy reserves. 
you're talking about a third of the world's population, if not more. Well, they need energy resources. And this group of people here, these groups, this group of countries here, they probably don't care about AOC, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren in the Green New Deal. Yeah, they probably don't care about that. They'll use whatever energy resources they have at their disposal. And if they can join ranks with uh, Venezuela, Iran, and Russia, and South Africa, well, they might just do that. Because they're going to have the energy, they're going to have agricultural products, and they might just be fine and dandy. And if they have to use a basket of their own currencies, or maybe in order to gain trust amongst themselves, because they all know that they're all shady players too, maybe, maybe they'll even go to some type of gold backing. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? And all of this, mind you, will start to weaken the U.S. dollar. And if King Dollar does get dethroned, well, your standards of living, ladies and gentlemen, in this country, <laughs> you're not going to know what hit you. All of the amenities, all the comforts that you've grown accustomed to and we've taken for granted for being the world's superpower and having the global reserve currency, well, that's gone. That's gone. Again, this isn't going to happen overnight, but it's likely going to happen in my lifetime. And that would really be the historic norm, too. Global currencies, obviously, are, global reserve currencies don't remain the global reserve currency forever. And the U.S. dollar has been a global reserve currency for quite a while. And historically speaking, it's getting in that latter phase. It does not mean that it has to end. But if we continue to do what we're doing, then it is going to end. We can, we can turn this ship around. Most definitely can. And our best and brightest days can be ahead of us. I truly believe that. I wouldn't say it if I didn't. But when you have these idiots at the helm, well, that's not going to happen. It's going to be more and more of the same. So the only way that's going to happen is if you wake people up, you turn them on to the Capitol News and other like-minded stations and channels and podcasts, and if you stop voting Democrat and Republican. Vote independent, vote libertarian. That's what you have to do. You have to. Your country depends on it. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren depend on it. You've been doing this year after year, and this is what it's got you. You have to wake up. You have to stop doing this. Just have to. Oh, and then just politically speaking, uh, we have the Hunter Biden laptop saga back in the fold. Uh, of course, it was real. The guy's a crackhead. Um, but now the New York Times says, well, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's it, Yeah, it's true. So... People got banned uh, in the election year 2020 for bringing this story up. Uh, oh, it was, it was fake news. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. You're banned. You're off Twitter. You're off YouTube, blah, 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 blah. Now, all of a sudden, it's true. Now, of course, the timing of it is always suspicious. So why is this coming out now? Is something else about to drop? So I'll keep you updated on that. But that's, again, that's, that's, it's, it could be a big story. But that is not the focus of this podcast, especially not today. But I'll keep you updated. I just wanted to mention that before I go back to the UN's food assessment. So be mindful of that. Be mindful of other countries joining ranks, saying we will trade in other currencies. We'll trade in gold or something will be backed in gold because they'll trust gold. They're, they're forming something new. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of risk. Well, there's not a lot of risk with gold. 
because it's been around for, you know, thousands of years, stood the test of time, seen empires come and go. So, you know, in a lot of these same countries that I just mentioned, they've been building up their gold reserves. And I doubt they've been doing that just for the fun of it. So something most likely is afoot. I will do my best to keep you updated. So again, here is the report from the United Nations, rereading some of this, and then I'll go on to some other paragraphs as well. The importance of Ukraine and the Russian Federation for global agricultural markets and the risks associated with the current conflict. The Russian Federation and Ukraine are among the most important producers of agricultural commodities in the world. Both countries are net exporters of agricultural products, and they both play leading supply roles in global markets of foodstuffs and fertilizers, where exportable supplies are often concentrated in a handful of countries. This concentration could expose these markets to increased vulnerability to shocks and volatility. In 2021, either the Russian Federation or Ukraine or both ranked amongst the top three global exporters of wheat, maize, sunflower seeds, and sunflower oil, while the Russian Federation also stood as the world's top exporter of nitrogen fertilizers and the second leading supplier of both potassic and phosphorus fertilizers. This is the trade risk. In Ukraine, the recent escalation of conflict has already led to port closures, the suspension of oil seeds crushing operations, and the introduction of export licensing requirements for some crops, all of which could take a toll on the country's exports of grains and vegetable oils in the months ahead. It is also uncertain whether Ukraine will be able to harvest its crops during protracted conflict. Much uncertainty also surrounds Russian export prospects going forward, giving, given sales difficulties that may arise as a result of economic sanctions imposed on the country. And don't forget, French President Emmanuel Macron has also issued warnings of mass starvation, especially in African nations. And President Zelensky of Ukraine is urging Ukrainian farmers to make sure that they start the planting season this spring. On to price risk. FAO simulations gauging the potential impacts of a sudden and steep reduction in grain and sunflower seed exports by the two countries indicate that these shortfalls could only be partially compensated by alternative origins during the 2022-23 marketing season. The capacity of many of these origins to boost output and shipments may be limited by high production input costs. Worryingly, the resulting global supply gap could push up international food and feed prices by 8 to 22 percent above their already elevated levels. Again, repeating, 8 to 22 percent above their already elevated levels, the price of food. You know, wheat, grains, corn, a lot of that goes not only to feeding people, but to feeding livestock. So if those prices go up, guess what's going to happen to the price of livestock? And if the price of livestock gets more expensive to take care of, well, then maybe they'll start having fewer cows and pigs and chickens on the farm, putting more price pressure on food. This is a vicious cycle. If the conflict keeps crude oil prices at high levels and prolongs the two countries' reduced global export participation beyond the 22-23 season, a considerable supply gap would remain in global grain and sunflower seed markets, even as alternative producing countries expand their output in response to the higher prices. This would keep international prices elevated well above baseline levels. Production risks. 
Although early production prospects for 2022-23 winter crops are favorable in both Ukraine and the Russian Federation, in Ukraine the conflict may prevent farmers from attending to their fields, harvesting, and marketing of their crops, while disruptions to essential public services could also negatively affect agricultural activities. FAO's preliminary assessment suggests that, as a result of the conflict, between 20 and 30 percent of the area's underwinter cereals, maize and sunflower seed in Ukraine, will either not be planted or remain unharvested during the 22-23 season, with the yields of these crops also likely to be adversely affected. In the case of the Russian Federation, although no major disruptions to crops already in the ground appears imminent, uncertainties exist over the impact that the international sanctions imposed on the country will have on food exports. Over the medium term, the loss of export markets that they may entail could depress farmer incomes, thereby negatively affecting future production decisions. Some humanitarian risks. The conflict is set to increase humanitarian needs in Ukraine, while deepening those of millions of people that prior to its escalation were already displaced or requiring assistance due to the more than eight-year conflict in the eastern part of the country. There you have it, folks. This has been going on for years in Ukraine, and now all of a sudden we're concerned about the Ukrainian people. By directly constraining agricultural production, limiting economic activity, and raising prices, the conflict will further undercut the purchasing power of local populations, inflation, with consequent increases in food insecurity and malnutrition. Globally, if the conflict results in a sudden and prolonged reduction in food exports by Ukraine and the Russian Federation. It could exert additional upward pressure on international food commodity prices to the detriment of economically vulnerable countries in particular. FAO's simulations suggest that under such a scenario, the global number of undernourished people could increase by 8 to 13 million. The global number of undernourished people could increase by 8 to 13 million people in 2022-2023, with the most pronounced increases taking place in Asia-Pacific, followed by Sub-Saharan Africa and the Near East and North Africa. Lastly, and I'll leave you with this, these are some of the energy risks as outlined by the FAO. The Russian Federation is also a key player in the global energy market as a high, highly energy-intensive industry, especially in developed regions. Agriculture will inevitably be affected by the sharp increase in energy prices that has accompanied the conflict. Agriculture absorbs high amounts of energy directly through fuel, gas, and electricity use, and indirectly by using agrochemicals such as fertilizers, pesticides, and lubricants. While prices of fertilizers and other energy-intensive products rising as a consequence of the conflict, overall input prices are expected to experience a considerable boost. The higher prices of these inputs will first translate into higher production costs and eventually into higher food prices. They could also lead to lower input levels, depressing yields and outputs in the 2022-23 crop season. If these prices go up, folks, they use less of them, you have less fertilizer, you have lower yields. Lower yields, less supply, higher prices. Again, a vicious cycle and giving further upside risk to the state of global food security in the coming years. Again, years plural. 
Higher energy prices also make agricultural feedstocks, especially maize, sugar, and oil seeds, vegetable oils, competitive for the production of bioenergy. And given the large size of the energy market relative to the food market, this could pull food prices up to its energy parity equivalent. So great. So instead of feeding people during a period of mass starvation, hopefully not the case, but that's what it looks like, well, we'll just give the food to the energy sector so we can throw it in our vehicles. And it's not good to do that either. But hey, it's all about the money. So there you have it, folks. Global instability, to put it lightly. We'll see if I catch you over the weekend as well. If I don't, do a podcast over the weekend. Enjoy your weekend, and I will catch you next week. Stay diversified, stay vigilant, and stay with the Capital News. I am Alex Caritas. Godspeed.